In your caves, folks, some of you still believe that God can't get you out. Other people have told you it's impossible. But the God of the caves whom I worship is the God of the impossible. He can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. What are the two enemies of our faith? Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Feelings and circumstances are two enemies that can challenge our faith in God. But as believers, we know that God is not limited by our feelings or our circumstances. Today, we'll hear practical ways to overcome despair in part two of King David. That's what David's talking about here. His body and his soul are in anguish in the cave. But here's how he responds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. I trust you, God. You're above the cave. You're above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. Let everyone see how glorious and wonderful you are. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They they dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Now, what's he saying there? His enemies again. They dug a pit for him. They made a trap for him. David says, God, let them step in their own trap. Again, he's letting God do it, but he's hoping that the ones who had turned against him would one day have to face the very traps they had set. Salah. Pause. Think about what's just been said. Then he continues. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. His heart will not be moved. Folks, when you're making faith declarations to God in caves, you must not let your heart be moved. You must be steadfast in your faith conviction that God is using the cave somehow for your good and his glory. And you'll not give up that faith conviction. Your heart will remain steadfast in that belief that God's in the cave working it together for good. Then he says, I will sing and make melody. When you're in a cave, one of the best things you can do is sing praises to the Lord. Find a praise CD and put it on and just start singing. Make sure you don't miss worship if you're in a cave. Come and sing with the people of God. There is something about singing praise songs, singing hymns that uplifts the soul and allows us to get out of the cave. That's what David's doing here. And here's his song. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. What's that word awake? He's basically saying, God, it feels like you're asleep right now. Would you please wake up? But he's also saying, I believe that once you're awake, you'll fight this battle for me. This is your battle, not mine. And I will trust you that you will fight it. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I think there ought to be another Selah here. There's not, but let me just pause and ask you, have you ever given God thanks for the cave? Have you ever given God thanks for the cave? David thanked God for the cave. It was taking him to a place of faith that he could have never gone to without the cave. Have you given thanks to God for your caves? I will sing praises to you among the nations. There it is again, singing, praising, somehow lifts the soul in caves. 
For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be above all the earth. If you're the God of the clouds, if you're the God of the heavens, and you're above everything, that means you're over the cave. That's what David's saying. So I'll let your glory be seen all over the earth, your glory even in this cave. Faith declarations. God, you're dealing with my faith. I will not be moved. That's Psalm 57. Look at Psalm 142. It's similar but yet different. He begins by saying, I tell my trouble before him. He told God all of his troubles. He was forthright and open with all of his hurt and pain. Again, you can tell God that. He's big. He can handle it. He wants you to do it, in fact. Some of you may not know that before I was called into ministry, I earned a graduate degree in counseling. And one of the things I learned in counseling with trying to help people get well is this phrase. Admitting the feeling is the beginning of healing. Admitting the feeling is the beginning of healing. That's what every therapist wants you to do, to tell the therapist what's hurting you. Well, the same is true with God. As you're Writing out your prayers, perhaps. That, that's how, what I do every day. I write out my prayers. I tell God what's going on in my heart. I go, God, I'm really hurting today. I'm really tired today. I'm really overwhelmed today. I tell God what I'm feeling because admitting the feeling is the beginning of healing. David says, I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, not if, when. This great man of God who had a heart for God, his spirit was fainting within him in the cave. You know my way. Even though my spirit is fainting, you still know what's going on, God. And my faith's not going to be based on my feelings or my circumstances. Those, those are the two enemies of faith, your feelings and your circumstances. David says, I'm not looking at my feelings. I'm not listening to my circumstances. I'm looking to you and you alone, oh God. You know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. There it is again. I'm going to count on you, Lord, in allowing them to step into the trap. Look to the right and see. There's none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. He's all alone at this point. Folks, God has to do his work with you alone in the cave. Now, he doesn't want you to remain there. You need community eventually. But when he's doing his greatest work, it must be done in solitude. I cry out to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge. My portion in the land of the living. When the Israelites crossed into the promised land, God divided up portions of the land to all of the 12 tribes. David said, you gave one of my tribe, the tribe of Judah, a portion of the land. You give me a portion of your life now in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. David's in a very low state in the cave. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. There's silence. It seems impossible. But David believes in the God of the impossible. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. Faith declaration, faith declaration. Even though it's dark, I'm alone. There's no hope. It seems it's impossible. I still believe in you, the righteous God of the universe, to deal bountifully with me. Now unto him who's able to do exceedingly and abundantly beyond what we could ever imagine, Ephesians 3.20. It's the God of the universe who's not limited by our circumstances. He's able to conquer everything. That is the ultimate faith declaration he wants all of us to have. So David ends the Psalms that way. And then interestingly, after some period in that dark cave, God first of all brought his family to him. 
Jesse, his father, his mom, his brothers, his two sisters, maybe the grandkids, Jesse and the family came to him because God knew that the people who should help us most in times of caves is our family. Our family. Dear friends, God created the family to be the source of encouragement we need in our cave times, like Marilyn was for me almost 20 years ago when I was ready to give up. So God brought family. And and then he brought 400 men. It's interesting, the text describes them as those who were in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was bitter in soul. They were people Saul was abusing. Saul, as this maniacal autocrat, was hurting the citizens he was supposed to be overseeing. And they left and came to the cave at Adullam. And what's so interesting, these 400 ragtags began to be disciplined by David. And ultimately, we'll see a bit later on in another part of this series, they become David's fighting army, David's mighty men. They become ultimately in their precise, disciplined army maneuvers, the most powerful army that Israel ever knew. So God uses the cave time to prepare Israel for later on with these 400 men. And finally, a guy by the name of Abiathar comes to David. Abiathar was one of the priests. When Doeg the Edomite, don't you just love that name, went to Saul and said, Ahimelech gave David the sword of Goliath and food to escape, Saul was one ticked off dude. And he said to Doeg the Edomite, his spy, you go kill every one of the priests. And he did. Killed Elimelech, all of his other buddies except one, Abiathar, who escaped and went to David in the cave of Adullam. And what happened in that cave is God continued with Abiathar the promise to Aaron that there would always be a high priest in charge of Israel to do the sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins. And later when David became king, Abiathar was his high priest. God sovereignly overseeing even the worst possible scenario to keep his promises true. And then finally, David went to Moab, and he asked the king of Moab if he'd take care of his mom and dad, aging, unable to continue to travel with David and be a part of this warfare. David takes care of his mom and dad. This man after God's own heart knew the Ten Commandments. He knew that one of them was to honor your mother and your father. So David takes them to the king of Moab, non-Israelite, Gentile. Why Moab? Here's why. Remember the story of Ruth? Ruth came back from Moab. She was a Moabitess. She married Boaz, a Jew, and they had children. Her grandson was Jesse, David's father. So David took his daddy back to the land where he knew the king would care for him because the king said, this guy and his family has Moabite blood pulsating through his veins. I've watched both my mom and dad age and die, folks, and I knew in those latter years when it was so difficult caring for them that that was my responsibility. I knew as a child of God, but also their child, I needed to care for them as aging parents. So did David. That's what he did with his mom and dad. He honored his mother and his father. Now, David then leaves Adullam with his 400 mighty men, and he returns closer to Saul, knowing that Saul is still looking for him, wanting to kill him. He goes to a second cave. Did you hear me say that you're not limited to one cave in life? There's a second cave to which he goes. It's a cave called En Gedi. It's an area that still exists in Israel today. It's filled with craggy rocks, steep mountains, deep valleys, and multitudes of caves. Well, one day, and this is in 1 Samuel chapter 24, 
David and some of his mighty men are hidden deep in a dark cave in Engedi, his second cave. And they're, they're trying to figure out what to do. Saul is persecuting them, seeking them. And one day as they're deep in the cave, thinking they can only see the light at the beginning of the cave, but they can't be seen by anyone entering the cave. Guess who enters the cave? Saul. King Saul, the guy who wanted David dead. And he takes off his robe, casts it aside, and I just don't know how politely to say this as a minister of the gospel. But let me just tell you what the text says. And if you don't believe me, read it yourself. King Saul takes off his clothes and bends down and takes a royal dump. <laughs> That's what it says. And he, let your imagination run wild, okay? He, he is vulnerable, He's in a position of great vulnerability. He can't see David and his mighty men. David can see him, though. And, and again, he's in a posture of great vulnerability, and his men whisper to him, go get him. Go get him. Lop off his head right now, and our problems are over in an instant. David crawls over to Saul while he's taking his business, cuts off a square of his royal robe and comes back to the men and they still see Saul alive and they go, are you crazy? It's in the cave of En Gedi that God taught David another great lesson about faith. In verses six and seven, we read this. David said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him seeing that he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. When he was down in the valley, David walks out of the cave and cries out to him, Saul, I'm not your enemy. I don't want to kill you. I love you. And let me show you, I could have taken your life. And he shows him the piece of his royal robe. And Saul cries out and goes, oh, I shouldn't have done that. I'm so sorry I pursue you, David. But that only lasted for a moment. He started the pursuit soon thereafter. But here's the point. David didn't like Saul a whole lot, but he honored his position as king. As one of my military friends said to me one time, I didn't like the general, but I always loved his position. You may not like the person over you, but you must respect their position. And David understood this principle, folks, that I hope all of you understand too. Bless the source of your blessing. If it's a kid with parents, bless the source of your blessing. If it's a boss over you, you may not like, bless the source of your blessing. You may not like the person, but you must respect their rank. And David said, I will not lift up my hand against the Lord's anointed. Here's what God was trying to teach him in the cave of En Gedi. David, so many people, when they're in, in a caves, they want to seize control of the cave and try to make things happen their way. They try to do it in their timing and their way. David, when you're my child and I'm doing a work of faith within you, you must learn patience. As humility is a twin sister of faith, there's a triplicate sister that's involved. It's called patience. Patience and faith are inextricably connected together. And God was saying to David, you must allow me to deal with Saul in my way, in my time. Don't try to control this situation. And David learned that faith perspective in the cave of En Gedi. 
Interestingly, two chapters later in chapter 26, he sneaked into Paul's, Saul's camp and had the chance to kill him again. Did the same thing, cut off another part of the royal robe. Just to say, I've learned my lesson. I will not lift up my hand and get the Lord's anointed. I'll not do it. Just like many of you are trying to control your situation instead of releasing it to God and trusting him. Impatience is a sign of a lack of faith. In the caves, we tend to look at our feelings and circumstances and not believe in the God of the impossible. Faith is always connected to the God of the impossible. Roger Bannister ran a sub-four-minute mile in the early 1950s. What's interesting beforehand is most people said to him, it can't be done. Nobody can run a four-minute mile, less than a four-minute mile. Bannister didn't believe in all the pundits who said it's impossible. He kept pushing himself. In fact, the doctors told him that if he ever did it, went under four minutes, his body would die. And interestingly, on the day when he finally ran his 359, he collapsed, and everybody in the stands thought he died. But he got up, and he broke that barrier because he believed there aren't any barriers. And since then, 150-plus people have broken the four-minute mile. In your caves, folks, some of you still believe that God can't get you out. Other people have told you it's impossible. But the God of the caves whom I worship is the God of the impossible. He can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a Russian dissident he was thrown into a gulag because he spoke words against Joseph Stalin. He spent over 12 years there. When he was finally released, the world clamored to hear his words of what happened in the gulag. He talked about how in that prison, he met Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. In that prison, God deepened his faith, and he understood eternal realities. And here's what he said to journalists from all over the world about his cave in Siberia. Thank you, Lord, for prison. Thank you, Lord, for prison. Why thank God for the prison? Don't you see, folks? No wilderness, no will of God. No cave, no confidence in God. No loneliness, no loveliness of God. No darkness, no dependence on God. No dangers, no desire for God. No rocks, no reason to believe in God. To Christ be the glory. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in a conversation about renewing our faith each day. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp, holding a sign that said, hungry, will work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. 
Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for being with us today. Hi, Jen. Great being with you as well. Well, today's Davidism is called, You Can't Use Yesterday's Faith for Tomorrow's Problems. What do you mean by that? Well, I'm trying to get everybody to realize that you need just enough faith for today. And as you look at tomorrow's problems, you'll need faith for tomorrow's problems. But just for today, you need to have faith to get you through this day. I think of Lamentations 3.22, for example. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And Jeremiah wrote this book when Jerusalem was being ransacked. It was amidst the greatest problems the city had ever seen. It is a lament. That's why the book of Lamentations is a lament about all of those evil things that are happening in Jerusalem. But right in the middle of the lament are these powerful verses in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21, 22, 23, of God's promises to Israel that their faith would be enough to meet their needs every single day. So that's what I'm trying to get across. As the Israelites gathered manna every day in the wilderness, it was a daily gift from God. They could never gather more than just that day's needs. If they tried to, the manna would putrefy. Jesus himself taught us in Matthew Matthew 6, verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. He said we'll need enough faith just for today for God to supply our needs. So the point again is tomorrow we'll have enough worries of its own, Matthew 6, 34. Just focus on today and believe that God will give you the grace and faith you need to make it through today because the truth is you can't use yesterday's faith for tomorrow's problems. That's really good. It reminds me of a phrase I heard a couple years ago to preach the gospel to yourself every day. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I do that. I have to remind myself of the way God has intervened in my life. And it it boosts my faith to remember and to recall fresh for today what he's done before and just to face what, what is coming my way in the day. So I don't know how you feel about that. Preach the gospel to yourself every day, but it does seem to invigorate my faith and, and set me steady on the course for the day. Oh, Jen, I believe that with all of my heart, that not only should we be reminded of God's eternal grace that he's given us through Jesus, of our identity in Jesus and not in the things of this world, but that we need to have enough faith just for today. And that's what the gospel promises us. Too many people, I think, are trying to live off yesterday's faith and they just can't do it. Yesterday's gone. You've got to live off what God gives you today. So that means every morning you get up and you drink from the well of God's waters Mm -hmm. of salvation. You 
fill your heart anew with all of God's love and grace. And when you do so, you then have enough faith to face today and its problems and not rely upon yesterday's faith to meet tomorrow's problems. This is so good and so encouraging. Thank you so much for these thoughts today. And thank you, Jen. And everyone, if you would like to receive these daily Davidisms, these Moments of Hope from me in written form, please go to momentsofhopechurch.org. Subscribe there free of charge from my heart to yours to help you begin each day with a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We would love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. Again, come join us Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte. Our web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston. I hope you have a great weekend.